that that miracles, what God does, what the Creator can do, and what He wants to do in nature, in essence. And as we think about Mark's Gospel, 30% of his Gospel is made up of stories of miracle healings. If you were just to think about that in sheer volume, to, to discount what he's saying about miracles, is to undermine the main thrust of what he's arguing. If you will, a three-legged stool, miracles for Mark is one of those legs. And to take it away is, well, for that whole thing to fall down. Miracles are important because as we will hopefully see over the weeks ahead, miracles help us understand not only a God who is powerful, but His Son and His identity. What Mark hopes for us to see is that through these miracles, Jesus is and always will be more powerful and authoritative. That is that Jesus is the Divine Son because He has power over sickness and disease. And so my hope this morning is that we will see through this passage that miracles of healing and Jesus' authority over demons is a foundational part of what it means to follow Christ. And that these earlier followers of Christ trusted in Jesus' identity because they trusted in the reality that Jesus was a healer. That Jesus had power unlike any other person. And so my hope this morning is that you will see and believe in Jesus more because you see and believe that He is a healer. Like puzzle pieces, Mark is putting the picture together of who Jesus is. Over these first few verses, we have considered together the identity of Jesus. And as we consider each verse, week in and week out, we are constantly going back to verse 1 of chapter 1. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is what Mark is trying for us to understand. That's what he's arguing about. And he's organizing the narrative of Jesus' life pointing us to the reality of who Jesus is. And I want to remind you this morning that Mark is not writing to non-Christians. Mark is writing to Christians. Mark is writing to people who already know that Jesus is the Son of God. And so we want to remind ourselves that this isn't just for someone outside that doesn't know Jesus, but this is for us who, who know Jesus. And trust in Him. And so Jesus' authority is revealed, I think, in this passage really in three ways. And so before we get into that, I want to read Mark chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open it to Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. Mark chapter 1 and verse 29. I just want to say one thing before I read as you're turning there. It would help you greatly if you would read this passage before coming. And I don't mean like, you know, on the car ride over here, you know, your wife reads it to you or something like that, or, or you sort of read it when you rush in here in the morning. Uh, you know, it's no surprise where we'll be next week, all right? So we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 next week. 
Um, I just invite you to read that. You know, if you have a devotional time, take take uh, 30 seconds and read every morning that passage. Your mind will be helped by that because when you come here, you, this won't be foreign to you. You've already kind of maybe even formed some opinions about what you think this is about and what it means and how it maybe means uh, what it means for your life. Okay, so I just invite you to do that. Next week, we're going to be in Mark chapter 1, verse 35 through 39. So, yeah, read that this week in your, in your devotional time. Let's begin here in verse 29 of Mark's Gospel. And immediately they left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with fever, and immediately they told him about her. And Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Praise God. Well, brothers and sisters, my hope this morning is for us to really see three things about Jesus. Three things that I hopefully will help you understand his identity as the Son of God who has authority over sickness and disease. Really three words that will kind of hopefully be like little hooks to hang our thoughts on. First is compassion. Second, care. And third, control. I don't normally alliterate that way, but uh, I just kind of came together that way. So compassion, care, and control. Those are really just three things we sort of pop out of this text as we consider it. Jesus' compassion for his disciples, his care for the sick, and his control over demons. So hopefully that will sort of help us organize our thoughts. First, his compassion for his disciples. You see his compassion here. Last week we saw the, the, the episode where Jesus was with his disciples. This is the same day, uh, just sort of part two of the same day. Last week we considered part one. Jesus there at the synagogue. He's there worshiping. He's there teaching. And Jesus casts out this demon. And remember, Jesus' disciples are with him. That is Peter, James, John, and Andrew, right? Those first disciples whom Jesus called. These first four men have have come with Jesus, are traveling with him in Capernaum. Capernaum's just sort of hometown. It's, if you will, it's going to be kind of home base for the disciples. This is where Jesus will launch all of his ministry from. Right there from Peter's house is where everything will begin. Where it sort of uh, begins there in Capernaum. Jesus calls his disciples to him and then begins to launch out his ministry. And so this is one Sabbath day, one Saturday in the life of Jesus. And uh, last week we considered the beginning of that story where he has authority over demons. And now the sort of the scene shifts to nighttime. After an exhaustive uh, day at the synagogue, uh, there Jesus teaching and and showing, demonstrating authority over that demon and and sort of taking war uh, upon Satan. We now see Jesus, uh, you know, going home, if you will, going to a restful place, going to a place where uh, it's safe, a safe place. Jesus attends his disciples. He cares for them. He leaves with them. He he lives life with them. And we see in the midst of this that Jesus' comprehensive ministry, this public ministry, Jesus' ministry was also a private ministry. 
Jesus wasn't just this traveling evangelist that was speaking to crowds of thousands and millions like a Billy Graham. Jesus had a private ministry. He had an intimate ministry. He had a ministry with, with twelve. And really, we could even argue he had a ministry with just three. Three men who he intimately poured into every day. Peter, James, and John. Men who he lived life with and shared meals with. Jesus' ministry was, was an intimate time. And, and he had compassion on his disciples. Notice what he says in verse 29. That as they left, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Jesus wasn't this, this, this preacher that thought he was better than others. He lived with his followers. He wasn't above his followers. He wasn't greater than his followers. He lived among his followers. Brothers, this is a picture of discipleship if you've ever seen it. Jesus was with them in every moment of the day. He, He cared for them in an intimate way. Jesus is weary and tired, I'm sure, from a busy day fighting demons in the synagogue. We see that he even has time for his disciples. Jesus here in verse 30 takes compassion upon them. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. Something I've somewhat neglected to talk about over the, over the last few weeks is that word immediately. If you're using an ESV translation, which um, I think we have in the piece. So if you're looking at that, if you're, if you're looking at another translation, you probably aren't hearing that word quite as often. Uh, the NIV doesn't translate that word immediately often. But, but I want to just make a pause for a moment, make a note about this. As you read through the Gospel of Mark, you'll find that word over and over and over and over. It's like, boy, that brother really loves that word. Uh, he uses that word probably every other verse. You're going to find that word immediately. Immedi- and then they did this immediately, this immediately. It's really an over-translation, but, but really what's happening there is Mark is trying to keep the story moving. He, he's moving the, the, the narrative of the story. He, it's sort of like a fast-paced picture of Jesus' life. So, you know, it's sort of compared to Matthew, Right? Matthew, he's sort of taking the, he's taking the long view, right? It's a slow, methodical picture of who Christ is and his ministry. He takes time and develops characters. Not Mark. Mark just sort of zooms through. He's like going fast forward. He, he, wants, the, he wants you to see the picture and the life of Christ in, in, a, in a sort of a fast-paced sense. Okay? But, so we can sort of see that and sort of just look past that and say, okay, yeah, he's just trying to keep the story moving. Yeah, I got it. Sometimes... That's not what he's doing. Sometimes he uses that word in a way to sort of intensify the, the, the moment, intensify action and, and movement. So sometimes he, he's being very intentional, and we want to sign and slow down. And, and the only way we know that is kind of the context of the verse. In this particular case, I think what, what Mark says when he says, immediately they told him about her, I think he is giving us a sense of urgency in the situation. That is, this wasn't just a, you know, you know, Mama Peter there wasn't just, you know, feeling bad that day. But rather, this was an urgent matter. If we were to consider Luke's parallel of this same story, Luke says that she was afflicted with a severe fever, sort of helping us capture the idea that, that she was really bad off. This was something that that perhaps concerned Peter, concerned his brother, something that sort of captivated them, something that really was on their hearts. 
And notice who they take it to. To Jesus. So we consider that Jesus hears them, but that his disciples would think to go to him. I think even early on in their life, they begin to understand that Jesus isn't just an ordinary guy. That Jesus isn't just some some rabbi on the street who who came to them one day and said, hey, come follow me, I'm going to make you these fishermen, these fishers of men. No, they're beginning to understand that Jesus is greater and more powerful and perhaps He can affect change in the life of His mother-in-law. And so we see Jesus' compassionate action. He hears them. He, he, He takes time to consider them. Jesus is compassionate. And it's something that, that you want to consider as you read through. That Jesus is compassionate with sinful people. That Jesus is compassionate with His followers. Secondly, we see Jesus' care for those who are sick. Jesus would just be a great guy if you know He sat there and listened to their problems. Right? We can all be compassionate in that way. Sure, tell me your problem. Okay, I, I'm really sorry that your your mother-in-law is sick. I, I'm really, uh, yeah, that breaks my heart to hear that, that she's not doing well. That's, that's not the picture we see at all in this passage. Verse 31, Mark tells us, And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. We see Jesus' concern for the afflicted. That Jesus' heart is broken by this world. As we consider the Gospel narrative, we see over and over and over again, Jesus' heart broken by the state of this world. By what is happening. And we see the fact that He takes the time to go and see her demonstrates Jesus' care and compassion for those that are sick. That Jesus isn't casual. Jesus is like, oh, I don't really, I'm more concerned about your heart, sister, than I am about your health, you know? Which that sounds like really spiritual. It sounds really special. But, but brothers, what we see in here is that Jesus is just as much as concerned about the spiritual as he is about the physical. That Jesus really does care about this physical world. That this isn't just some sort of dichotomy where he just says, you know, I'm more concerned about where your soul's going than, than what you're doing right now in life. Jesus cares about the physical world. And why? Because God created it. In Matthew's parallel of this particular passage, Matthew says that this particular narrative, this event in the life of Jesus, was meant to fulfill something. A promise of God. Isaiah 53.4 tells us that He bore our afflictions and carried our sorrows. We see here Jesus' compassionate care for His disciples. And we see His care and concern for the afflicted. And we are reminded that we live in a broken world. Friends, I don't have to tell you that this world is broken. That this world is filled with disease, sickness, famine, and death. We don't have to go to the Bible to see that. We can see it around us. We hear about it. It affects even our own lives. And Jesus cares about this broken world. God cares about this world. Notice also Jesus' caring touch that He said that He shows 
Jesus, in the earlier event that day, he spoke to the demon. He declared to the demon, get out of him. Get out of here. He declared with words to that demon. But notice when Jesus heals broken people, he doesn't use words. He touches them. He touches her hand. He takes hold of her. He he ministers to her, not with words, but with a physical touch. Illustrating for us Jesus' intimate care. His intimate concern for His people. But why miracles? Judas, pause for a moment and consider, okay, Jesus heals this this young lady, this, this that, that evening, she he touches them and considers. But why? Why? Why are miracles so vitally important for our understanding? Because miracles are always in the Bible connected with God's work and God's advancement of that work. So if you were just to sort of take a, 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 an overview of the Bible, you would begin to see over and over again that every time God was advancing His purpose and plan, that miracles accompanied that. To sort of prove and, and demonstrate that God was in it. That God was the one who was, who was working. So whether it's Balaam's donkey who's talking, or Nahum going to the river, we begin to see that God works and accompanies His Word with healing. That God uh, creates miracles and does miraculous things. And so to undermine miracles is to undermine God and His work. And so when Jesus begins His ministry, every time He goes into a new territory or to a new city or a new region, no matter where He's going, we will see that miracles accompany them. Because it's a sign of the advancement of God's kingdom. That is... That, that Satan, his forces are, are being, being withdrawn. And that the kingdom of God is advancing. That the new kingdom is coming. And so when we go to Acts and we see the apostles working, we notice that every time Peter or Paul goes into a new area, we begin to see miraculous signs accompany that work to sort of shore up for us our understanding that God is the one who's at work here. That this isn't a work of man, but a work of God. We're reminded through this, again, of the brokenness of this world. That is, that the kingdom is advancing the darkness away. Friends, the Bible tells us that the real the reason why there's sickness, death, disease, famine in this world. So if you're a Christian this morning, you should not be surprised by the news that there's a famine. Or not be surprised at a devastating disease that wipes out thousands. Or the death of a loved one. It shouldn't surprise you. Because the Bible tells us that that those things entered the world because of sin. The Bible tells us that God created this world perfect and holy and without death and without disease and without famine and sickness. The Bible tells us that God created this world good. 
But because of our sinful rebellion, because of Adam and Eve and their rebellion against God, sin entered the world. And and because of sin, death entered the world. As Paul says in Romans, the wages of sin is, is death. And so, God's purpose in saving people, in redemption, in His coming kingdom, is so that He might fix this broken world. God, through Christ is fixing this world. He's renovating this world. And one day, He promised that He will come again and completely fix this world. And so we have a promise in Revelation 21 and verse 4. God will wipe away every tear. Why? Because there will be no sickness, death, and disease. But God is making all things new. Through Christ. Why healings? Because it's a reminder that God has authority over this broken world. That God is working to fix the problem. In his narrative, we've seen that Jesus has compassion for his followers. We've considered that his care for those who are sick just want to conclude our time by considering his control over his enemies. He tells us in verse 34, And Jesus healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Jesus loves to throw out the trash. Right, fascinating the words that are used in this passage. Cast out, to throw out, to to kick out of town those demons. When the kingdom is advancing, not only is sickness being restored, not only is dead people coming to life, but also demons are being thrown out. Exercising control and authority over evil is exactly what we see in this passage. And it is essential for our understanding of who Jesus is. That Jesus isn't just some guy, you know, some great teacher that did some miraculous things. But one who exercises authority over sickness and over demons. That he controls his enemies. He tells his enemies where to go and what to do and what to say. He has authority to do that. And I just we cannot miss that point. We're going to consider that again next week in verse 39 when he went throughout all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Jesus' authority over demons reminds us that he has an authoritative word for our own lives and that what he is going to do on the cross will be sufficient to save sinners. That is, that he has the power and authority over darkness. And so we see in this passage that Jesus is again casting out demons, many demons. And as these people are are bringing to him all of these demons, we begin to see that he casts them out. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus didn't heal every person that he came across, and he didn't cast out every demon that he came across. Right? That wasn't the purpose of his coming. His, the purpose of Jesus' coming wasn't to heal everyone, but rather to preach the gospel. 
right? So what he said he came to do, he's, it's what he's going to tell us later. This is why I came in verse 38. Let us go to the next town that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Jesus' primary purpose is to herald the gospel, to proclaim the gospel that the kingdom has arrived. And as proof, verifiable sort of proof to us and to those around him who are hearing that, he cast out demons and he healed people. So we see Jesus' control. But we also see something perhaps interesting. In the latter part of verse 34, Mark tells us that he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Because they knew him. Jesus, I thought you were trying to get the word out. Jesus, I thought you were trying to like tell everybody about you. Well, I mean, here's a great opportunity. What are you doing? Why did you why are you concealing your identity? Why why this secrecy? What's this all about? Mark here tells us it's because these demons knew him. They knew who he was. And we could think of many reasons perhaps why Jesus isn't doesn't really want them spreading the news, right? Perhaps they would change the message. Jesus is here to take over Rome. Jesus is here to, you know, share the wrong message. I think that's probably perhaps accurate. You know, there was a lot of misconceptions about the Messiah in the first century. Jews were very concerned and, uh, about this Roman occupation and they thought that, that perhaps the Messiah was going to come and, and deliver them literally right then and there from their Roman oppressors. And so they thought and that, that this conquering king would come with a vast army and win. And perhaps that's the case. I think, and as I hopefully you'll see in the weeks ahead, that Mark is using demons to demonstrate Jesus' identity. It is, if you will, a spiritual reflex of these demons that every time Jesus is around, they start just blurting out who he is. Like It's like a reflex. Like They see Jesus and they're like, ah, he's the Son of God. Ah, he's the Most High. Ah. You know, it's like a reflex. Like, a, like they're frightened. They, they recognize their position. And, and it's just sort of like a subtle little push, a little nudge from Mark. Hey, Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is the Son of God. Because these demons can see it. They've been to his throne. This isn't news to them. They've always known who he was, and they always will know who he is. He is the Son of God. And so Mark has painted for us this picture of Jesus' power over sin and sickness, and through His compassionate, comprehensive ministry to His disciples, and through His concerning care for those who are sick, we see Jesus ministering and demonstrating His care and concern for the afflicted. Jesus continues to exhort control and power over His enemies. Does Jesus only care about the spiritual world? Does he only care about souls or does he care about this physical world? 
Is God just concerned about saving souls or is He about saving this world? And I think it's, it's a both and. He does care about destroyed lives. And God is working through the Gospel of Jesus Christ to restore this broken world. The question is, do we believe in that? And do we trust that Jesus is who He says He is? Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. Father, that we might consider together the identity of Christ as the sinless Son of God who compassionately cares for our souls. That we might trust and believe in this evidence that we have seen and considered that Jesus heals people. That He has the power through touch to change their physical condition from sick to well. Father, my prayer is that our hope is rested surely in who Christ is. And that our faith would grow as we consider that Christ, the Son of God, died for us. Father, aid us this week to continue to consider Christ in His identity to believe upon Him for everlasting life. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning we have the wonderful opportunity to celebrate together the Lord's table. And so, if Mark, if you could grab your men and make your way here. I thought a fitting conclusion.